mentioned earlier, we are starting a new series, so we are going to turn our attention to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. And if you don't have a Bible, most everything I'll refer to is there in the bulletin. We're going to begin in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. That's in the bulletin. I, I had been thinking about doing this series on the last book of the Bible for a while. There's something about this book that is different and we're going to talk about that more. I've even noticed the way people have responded to me when I told them that we were going to go as a church through Revelation. You know, uh, it, not only with people in the church, but friends I know outside of the church, you know, might say, well, what are you preaching on these days? And in earlier times, if I said, well, we're going to do a series on the Gospel of John, someone might say, oh, okay, yeah, sounds great. On this one, when they've said, hey, what are you going to be preaching on? When I've said Revelation, they, they've said, uh-oh. And I, th- I think there's multiple reasons for that. We're going to try to address some of those this morning. Uh, I, for those of you who've been around a while, you may have picked up on this by now. I don't do lots of intro, usually, when I start a new series. Th- this, this will be an intro sermon, but I'm going to try to farm in some introductory things as we go, especially in the first three or four weeks. But let me just say a few, ba- a few basics The person through whom God gave us the book of Revelation is John, the Apostle John. This is the same one who was in that Peter, James, and John inner circle, you might say, of the 12 apostles, very close to Jesus. Uh, He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John toward the end of the New Testament, and he wrote Revelation. It is written to local churches. We're going to talk about that more as we go. It's written to groups like this in that part of the world. Here's the the last thing I want to say before I read this first text. Revelation has this kind of spooky aura around it. And at the very beginning of the book, it says to you, I'm not trying to hide things from you. I'm trying to reveal things to you. I'm not trying to conceal things from you. I'm trying to show you things. And I'm not wanting you to leave feeling spooky or worried or anxious. I want you to be blessed. That's how it starts. Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia... Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Chapter 22, the last chapter of the book, verse 6. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we always, as we pray so many Sundays, we need your help every second. We need your second to hear, and we need, uh, we need your help to hear. We need your help to heed. We need your help to walk out of here and connect the dots from what we've heard to our work and our home, to roommates, to family, to our loneliness, to our joys, to our work, to our leisure. We need your help. So please, as we begin this study, help us to hear this morning and every other morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, you'll have these times where you're sitting around with a group of people and um, maybe if it's just a good leisurely time, you've got nothing breathing down your neck, people will start to throw out sort of conversation continuers, conversation uh, generators. What's, the be- what's your favorite restaurant in town? What's the best meal you ever had there? What's the best trip you ever took? That, that kind of stuff. One I've heard, in fact, I think I've asked this, is what is the scariest movie you ever saw? Now, you may or may not know the answer to that question. My own answer to that question is, strictly speaking, not a movie. It was a TV show. Um, why Antiques Roadshow was that intense that night, I, I don't know, but it was... <laughs> kidding. It was a show from... It, it was actually only on for two seasons, and it was, uh, it was called Twin Peaks. Late 80s, early 90s. It was set in the Pacific Northwest, and it was just, it, it went past a threshold of weirdness that just almost no one could handle. That's probably why it was only on for, for two seasons. And it was made by a guy named uh, David Lynch. And David Lynch is just notorious in filmmaking for just uber weirdness. Weirdness beyond most weirdness. The friend of mine who lent me I didn't watch it when it was on, uh, when it was on TV. Somebody lent me a, a box set. And, and I remember the night that my wife and I saw this particular episode of it, uh, this was before we had children, I remember I turned to her and said, that is the most frightening thing I have ever seen in my life. And we didn't sleep that night. And maybe for two nights after that, because we kept talking about it. But... If I were to show you the scene that I'm talking about, it came at the end of an episode, I think you might say, all right, I I mean, it's, yeah, that's scary. There's disturbing images, like the term. 
that's not the scariest thing I've ever... You must not have seen many scary movies, Brian. But the thing is this. David Lynch knows what he's up to. The friend of mine who lent me that box set, he, he read a biography of David Lynch. And this is secondhand, so I'm having to go off his expertise. But he said that Lynch made the comment that when it comes to filmmaking, generally speaking, you're either a word guy or an image guy. He's an image guy. Sometimes he'll show you something, and number one, it has, you can't understand the context, and it comes with no explanation, and there may not seem to even really be a point to it. It just affects you. Uh, on the Twin Peaks show, it's set in the Pacific Northwest, just, there's this recurring image of these big evergreens at night waving in the wind, and it would just show them for several seconds with no comment, no reason, no real attachment to the rest of the story. That is vintage David Lynch. It's imagey to do something to you. Now, here's something I've got to say at the beginning of this study. We are a gathering of Christians. And having said that, I never assume that everyone in the room is a Christian. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, or you don't know where you are, I'm, I'm always excited. I'm extremely excited about it this morning and if you keep coming for this series. More on that in a second. But as a gathering of Christians, we are word people. I mean, the reason there's a universe that exists is because God spoke words. The reason that you and I exist is because God spoke words. When the same John that wrote Revelation, when he wrote his gospel, he begins it by identifying Jesus Christ with the metaphor of He's the Word. Okay, so we are pro-Word people, right? Thumbs up on words. But the last book of the Bible gives you, it does it through words, but it gives us images that drive the words home to the point where sometimes we don't know what to do with it. Uh, there's different temperaments in here, but I think generally speaking, we, we like clean edges and clear explanations. And here's the main points, and here's subpoint one, two, three, and four. And Revelation is very frustrating if we're like that. But God, in His wisdom, saw that what we need, the way He finishes the Bible, is with very powerful images. They don't so much give us new information that's not in the other 65 books. It drives the other 65 books into your heart, if we'll let it, and if God will give us ears to hear. All right, so I want to look at three things about this book, just going into it. This is introductory. First off, what's the agenda of Revelation? What are the challenges of Revelation? And I will not be able to speak to all of those, but some of them. The agenda, the challenges, and then what's the payoff of studying Revelation? What's the agenda? What are the challenges? What's the payoff? All right, first off, what's the agenda? I want to look at the very first words of the whole book. Verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, before we go any further, a minor point and then the major point. The minor point is, let's all agree at the beginning that we stop saying revelations. It's not plural, all right? It is singular. The first phrase, the title of the book is singular. Let's call it 
revelation. Not a huge deal, but let's get that out of the way. Major point, why is Brian so angry this morning? Okay, but major point, and, and really, this is the most important thing I could say by way of introduction. If you get no other point this morning, this is the most important one to get. For understanding this book, I hope for the rest of your life, when John begins with the words, the revelation of Jesus Christ, he is not giving us the title. He is giving us the topic Let me say that again. When he says the revelation of Jesus Christ at the very beginning, he is not announcing the title. He is announcing the summary, the substance of everything that's going to follow. Now, if we will let it, that should give us a collective sigh of relief. The main agenda of revelation is not figuring out a chronology of end times. And that if there's some flashpoint in the Middle East, which bowl of wrath is this? That is, the not, that is not the main agenda of Revelation. The main agenda is to reveal Jesus Christ to us. And look in verse 2. You know, lest we miss that point. It says that... He, uh, let's start halfway through verse 1. He, God, made it known by sending His angel to His servant John. We've already heard about John who bore witness, that is a, that's a big deal with John. The terms bear witness, testimony, witness, those terms are all through the Gospel of John, and they're in 1 John, and they're in 3 John, and they're in Revelation. They're already in verse 2. And what is John saying? He's saying, when I wrote that Gospel, the Gospel of Jesus Christ... I did not make these up and I didn't get with other people to try to craft a story that somehow did something advantageous for the church. We knew and touched and saw and heard and ate with Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah. It's an eyewitness account of what I experienced and saw. This is reliable testimony. He's doing the exact same thing in Revelation, but here's what he's saying. I did see the risen Christ and it frightened me. That's next week's sermon. It's a close friend of Jesus. I saw him. He didn't look like a rabbi in Galilee anymore. He frightened me. And I saw him. I'm going to reliably tell you what it was like, but I'm also going to give you these visions that he gave through me to the churches. Well, what kind of stuff comes out? All right, just start in verse 5. What do we learn about Jesus, just even in this first passage? Uh, Starting in verse 5, Jesus Christ, what is He? He's the faithful witness. Same term. He's the firstborn of the dead. He's the ruler of kings on earth. He loves us. He's freed us from our sins by His blood. He's made us a kingdom. He's made us priests to His God and Father. Verse 7, He's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see Him. And here's the thing. In that, did you hear any new information that you couldn't get from the other 65 books of the Bible, especially the other 26 books of the New Testament? Did you hear new information? No. What you're going to hear is to reinforce what we've already heard in the rest of the New Testament as reliable testimony about what God wants us to see. 
Look in verse 8. This is the first of three times that this is said in Revelation. So it must be important. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. And you'd expect him to say who is and who was and who will be. He says who is and who was and who is to come. He's coming. The Almighty. Uh, Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter. When the risen Christ says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, what is He saying? He's saying, I am not the most important thing in life. I am life. Uh, When I was in grade school, back in olden times... I remember watching a school film, literally like where, the, where the, you can see the lines of the, of the film and it's kind of making the old-timey 50s noise. I, I, got, I actually saw those in my youth. But I remember uh, when I was in grade school, this, this picture of outer space, and on the film there was this quote from Galileo. And he said that mathematics is the alphabet with which God wrote the universe. And that, that landed This is Jesus Christ, the risen Christ, saying to these early churches in a Roman-dominated society where being a Christian is not helping them a whole lot as far as comfort level, felt conveniences. He's saying, you need to understand, I am not the most important equation. I am mathematics. I am not just the best poem you ever heard. I am all the letters... I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Now, again, if we will let it, we can breathe a collective sigh of relief. Okay, and this, what I'm about to throw out, do not put too much into this. I'm just using this as something going on right now. An evolving news story is this kind of the fits and starts of the tension, ongoing tension between Iran and Israel. If we will hear what I just said, if six months from now just war breaks out, chaos breaks out in that part of the world between those two nations, that means that we don't have to, like I said, be like going back to Revelation saying, all right, is, so the Apache helicopters are the locusts invading in the... We, and we, we have to look at those things. We have to look at what are the bowls of wrath and what are the locusts. We have to talk about that stuff. That's part of what God is showing us. But the main point is to show us Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, what does Iran most need? Jesus Christ as prophet, priest, and king. Risen, Savior of sinners. What does Israel most need? Jesus Christ, prophet, priest, and king. Savior for sinners risen from the dead. What does the lonely, lonely member of downtown Prez, lonelier than anyone else knows, what does he or she most need? The same. That's the agenda of the book. And what about the challenges? And I really feel strapped for time, so this is a, a skimming of the surface. Here's a few things. These are some of the things that when you say... Hey, I'm preaching on Revelation. People say, "Uh uh-oh. Here's some of the reasons. Number one, to understand Revelation, you must interact with the Old Testament. And we tend to be weak on the Old Testament. 
And what we're going to find out is some of these images that seem so weird and bizarre in Revelation, they have already been used in books like Ezekiel and Daniel and Zechariah. They did not come out of a vacuum. They have a context. There was actually a seminary, seminary professor in the 1800s named uh, Moses Stewart. He taught at Andover Seminary, brilliant guy, New Testament scholar, theologian, all that. He was asked by his students, would you do a lecture series on Revelation? And he said, sure. And this is a trained, you know, biblical scholar, theologian, really knows his Greek and, and all that. And he sat down to start putting together his lecture notes, and he came back to his students and said, I don't understand Revelation at all. And so he decided, if give me 10 years, of course they'd all be graduated by then, give me 10 years and I'll start teaching on this. And the way he prepared was he began an intensive 10-year study of the Hebrew prophets. And so he was studying Ezekiel and Daniel and Zechariah in the Hebrew, in the original, to try to get at what does this mean, where does this come from? And then he gingerly began to teach on Revelation. We're going to have to ask for God's help to help us, not only with a hard book of the New Testament, maybe the hardest, but to understand our Old Testament, okay? And you know what's great? Is that He loves to help us. He loves us. He loves when we come and say, I, I don't understand your word, but I'm coming to you with empty hands, and I need help to understand this. I have to do this all the time, believe me. And if we do that as a church, He's going to help us. The second thing is this, is the genre of revelation. Um, I'm sure your English teacher said this at some point when you heard the word genre. When you pick up a newspaper, for the few people that do that anymore, don't look at it on their tablet or whatever. When you, when you pick up a newspaper, you read the editorial differently than you do um, the obituary, than you do the sports page. Because in kind of a just everyday way, those are different genres. The Bible is a book with different genres in it. You've got poems. You've got narrative history. You've got letters. You've got prophecies. And it's not that one is more true than the other or that one's more important than the other. It's all the precious Word of God, and we need all of it. But different rules apply when you're interpreting different genres. And here's, here's the rub. Revelation is a particular kind of genre. And you see it in some of those Old Testament prophets. You see it a little bit in the Gospels. When Jesus answered a question about the end of the world, then all of a sudden he starts saying that the sun will be darkened, the moon will turn to blood, and we're just kind of going, is nuclear holocaust? Or what, what is he talking about? The language of apocalyptic, and the, the, the reason it's difficult is we don't know as much of the history, so we kind of don't know the rules. So we do the best we can. But think about this. Apocalyptic is not just ancient. I had the weirdest thing happen this past week, all right? I'm, I'm studying, getting ready for this series. I've just got a head full of revelation. I've got a head full of apocalyptic and I'm driving, and I was listening to old Bob Dylan. Dangerous combination. Revelation and Bob Dylan. Listening to old Bob Dylan, acoustic Bob Dylan, you know, my, my favorite kind. 
and was listening to the song, A Hard Rain's Gonna Fall. I have probably heard that song 100 times. But I've got this head full of revelation. And so I'm driving down, literally down Macbee, and I hear these words, and it just, it bubbled inside of me. The format of the song is a father talking to his son, and the father saying, uh, what did you see, my blue-eyed son? And what did you see, my darling young one? And the rest of the stanza is the son answering the father. So about halfway through the song, uh, the father says, so who did you meet, my blue-eyed son? Who did you meet, my darling young one? And the son says, I met a young child beside a dead pony. I met a white man who walked a black dog. I met a young woman whose body was burning. I met a young girl and she gave me a rainbow. And I came home and told Dana, that sounds like revelation. I never heard it that way before. And the thing is, it's a non-linear way of communicating. It's a non-propositional way of communicating. Because if you and I, decades removed from it, if we sit down and say, okay, I want to know exactly what is a hard rain's going to fall by Bob Dylan about, it is extremely difficult. But to a whole generation that heard that song, they went, ah, I'm tracking with you. But it's imagey. Now, if, if you've got your thinking cap on, that ought to raise a question. Well, then, how do we know that as we're, you know, interacting with these images that we're not just coming to wacko conclusions? The other 65 books of the Bible. The Holy Spirit is not going to be at odds with Himself in any other part of the Bible. And the persons of the Trinity are not going to be at odds with one another. Any conclusion that we come to about any image or any statement made that's at odds with the other 65 books, we've got to strike it down. They win. That's the check. But what if the images, again, help us appropriate and experience what they've been saying all along? That's apocalyptic. The last challenge is this, and I'm... We're just going to have to farm this in as we go because I can't give this the time it needs. One of the challenges is, is this a book that's mostly about now or is this a book that's mostly about the future? What did the book call itself? Look in verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear. What, What is Revelation? It's a prophecy. Look down in chapter 22. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Chapter 22, verse 7. Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Prophecy, we tend to think of as foretelling. Biblical prophecy is foretelling and forthtelling. Biblical prophecy sometimes tells you the future, but sometimes it's just saying... For God's people, here's the will of God. Here's what God wants you to know right now in your life. That's forthtelling. Revelation does both. If you're sitting here and you're hearing him say over and over and over, the time is close. The time is near. I'm coming soon. If you're finding yourself, you know, hearing that saying, um, 
if 2,000 years later you haven't showed up yet, I think you might define soon different than I define soon. Okay, fair, that's fair. That means you're thinking. But, but think about this. In another one of John's books, First John, chapter 2, verse 18, he says, Children, this is the last hour. He writes that almost 2,000 years ago. He says, this is the last hour. You've heard that Antichrist is coming. Many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know this is the last hour. In multiple places in the New Testament, this era, even the era of the first century, is called the last days. You don't have to watch the news and go, oh, so-and-so has bombed so-and-so. This must be the beginning of the last days. We have been in them. Revelation is going to tell us about things to come, the return of Christ, end of the world. But it's going to tell us things about right now. And that leads to the, the last point. If, if there's all this confusion, and there's so much potential for, for misinterpreting, and there have been some bizarre interpretations of Revelation, you cannot outweird what we as churches have already said about Revelation. If, if, there's, if it's sort of a landmine for problems, why study it? And it's, it's what the book says at the beginning and all through it and at the end. What did it say? Okay, look, look, look back. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear. And then almost at the end of the book, chapter 22, verse 7, bottom of the text. Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Did you know that either a blessed is or blessed are, that phrase happens, guess how many times in Revelation? Seven times. Sevens are a big deal in Revelation. They mean fullness, completeness, They mean blessing. Seven times God is saying, here's the blessing that I offer. And at the beginning and the end of the book, He says, if you'll listen and hear it, even if you read it out loud, you'll be blessed. Who is He saying this to? He's saying this to people who don't own hard copy of Revelation. Either the original letter or a copy of the letter would have come to a local church community when it says... The one who reads aloud would have been the the, the pastor or an elder or a leader. They would have read, or maybe picture this, they would have read Revelation, and then this copy might have gone to the next church. And to people without hard copy, without commentaries, without Bible study software, he says, if you'll just hear what I'm revealing to you, really even kind of the big points, you'll be blessed. The person who read it out loud... That person will be blessed for reading it out loud. And I thought about this. You know, there's, there's a sarcastic side of me that... Shocker, I know. There's, there's a sarcastic part of me, you know, that looks at that and almost wants to say, hey, I'm having a bad day. You know, let me, let me come over to your house and read Revelation to you and maybe my day will, you know, round a corner. And what I want us to consider this morning is perhaps that is exactly what we should do. Because you've got God... He said seven times saying, here's the blessing for my people. Now, how is this book a blessing to me? 
if I'm without work. Yes, I still believe these things. God, God exists, and He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus died on the cross for my sins. But I, I'm dealing with this all the time, and it's forefront in my mind. How does that help that? Let me end with this. Uh, three days ago, I was at a get-together, and um, this guy shared that he grew up in a, in a home that were avid North Carolina State fans. And he said, you know, when you're a North Carolina State fan, it's like a lot of teams. You, you know, it's, it's just, it's all over the place. Who knows how it's going to go? But he said, but the year that's just branded into me is 1983. In 1983, NC State won the national championship in basketball. I learned all this from him. I knew nothing about this. Again, shocker. He said that his family uh, just, just loved NC State. So when, when NC State won the national championship, it was unbelievable. His dad had recorded the game, again, olden times, 1983. He had recorded it on a VHS tape, didn't like buy some commemorative VHS tape. So his son that was telling the story, he said, I may have watched this tape 100 times. I had watched this tape so many times I could say every word of the commentators and announcers during the game. And, and I found out that that 1983 basketball team for NC State was known as the Cardiac Pack, which some of you may know this, because so many of their games came down just right to the wire. And sort of the ultimate demonstration was when they won the national championship and it ended at the buzzer with a slam dunk. Nail-biter. And this guy said... He had watched this tape so many times that not only had he memorized it, but he had been in the room when his friends saw him watching it, let's say, for the 68th time. And they almost began to rebuke him for, your knuckles go white at the end of the game. Why are you doing that? You know exactly how it's going to... I mean, you can say every line of what happens when you know that it ends. How can you possibly be getting worked up about it? Now, and, you know, we've all experienced this. You're watching Rocky, you know, and you may own Rocky, but you just can't, like, you can't even walk over and take the DVD out. You're just watching it on TBS, and for the 17th time, and he's on the mat, you're screaming, get up! And, Why am I doing this? I know exactly how it's going to end. How else could there be Rocky Five? <laughs> now, okay, ha, 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 we've all, we've all done that, but, I, okay... The white knuckles are funny for a guy that just is so into NC State, he gets all worked up about it. Here's where it's not so funny, is you're a professing believer in Jesus Christ and say, yeah, I believe all those things that we say we believe as a church, and Christ is coming back, and, you know, if I gave you a test, is he king of kings? Yes. Is he lord of lords? Yes, he is. Does he rule over every detail of your life, and is he good? Absolutely. And then you fall in love with someone and they lose interest in you. And that might happen before marriage and it might happen after marriage. Or you are let go at work and your knuckles go white. Or you are watching a child respond to you in a way that she or he never has. Or 
that's happening. And you're hearing all these statistics about youth culture today and the normal struggles of high schoolers versus the struggles of high schoolers 50 years ago, the deterioration of America, and the knuckles are just going white. And here's what I want to end on. The book of Revelation does not come over to people like us and go, bap. It is this strong hand that comes over and says, I want to show you something. You without work? It's frightening to be without work. But let me let you see a man on a white horse. And he's wearing crowns. And there is a sword coming out of his mouth. And written on his thigh is king of kings. He comes to make war. Does that in and of itself give you a paycheck? No. Does it reframe it? Yes, it does. Does that undo the pain of a breakup? No. Does it reframe it? Yes. This is a book for people who get arrested and sometimes killed because they say, Nero, Caesar, Domitian, whoever, is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. You better have some strong comfort if that's your context. If we will read this and we will listen and we will let the images be what God wants them to be, the payoff is that we will be blessed through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ is Lamb who lays down his life meekly, led away like a lamb to the slaughter, lays down his life for his people. We thank you that he is King of kings and Lord of lords, that he comes. He comes to make all things right. He comes in strength, not as suffering servant, but as conquering king. How we pray, Lord, that you'll help us. Help us to understand Revelation. Help us to understand the other scriptures as they help us understand Revelation. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, may we not misrepresent you. Lord God, for anyone here who does not know where he or she is spiritually, or perhaps is here and knows that he or she is not a Christian, I pray that... that these pictures, these vivid images would land, would be a way to process, would be a way to hear what you are saying to your people, to sinners who need Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.